Hello and welcome. My name is Adam Barnard, and on behalf of GateWorld.net, I'm here with Stargate Origins director Mercedes Bryce Morgan. Mercedes, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is probably a very exciting time for you because you now have uh, a feature film in the form of the Stargate Origins feature cut, like everywhere on digital markets. Every time I go to Amazon or, or iTunes, I always see it. Yeah, no, it's really exciting because um, it was so great to have Stargate Origins on Stargate Command before, uh, but then only a portion of the population can watch it. So I'm really happy that it's streaming on other platforms so that more people can have access to it. Right. It's kind of like expanding the reach for Origins, um, which is so cool because it's it's part of such a vast Stargate legacy. And, and the more it uh, becomes available to the general public, the more people will get to kind of experience this new chapter. And for you, it's like your your first feature film, right? Because um, like usually you do short film or, or kind of like digital web series content. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd still say even though it's a feature film, we ran it more like a TV show since that's like the original cut we have was in um, shorter form episodes. Um, but yeah, definitely. It was like one of my first bigger credits with a known franchise. And so it's been really wonderful to have that opportunity. Well, so speaking of your career, before we get into Stargate Origins and kind of want to hear your take on how you dug into the material, I want to get, uh, I want to hear your origin story personally and kind of uh, go back to the beginning and how you got inspired with film. Uh, one of the reasons I was super excited to sit down with you is Stargate is what got me to go to film school and got me into the film industry. And so like, uh, just out of personal curiosity and also to, to provide some insight into fans who might, you know, look up to you or look up to Origins and be inspired. How did you, you know, at the, at the earliest you can remember, uh, garner an interest in film and start on this path? For sure. So I have um, the cliche film answer where I love filmmaking since I was in fourth grade. I would take my camcorder with my mini DV tapes and go invent stuff with my next door neighbors who lived down the mountain from me. And we would just put together our whole story and edit it. And I still have a closet full of tapes in storage. <laughs> and so from that, I grew up in a very small town and there wasn't much to do other than watch and make movies. And it's just basically the way I like describing people is like as a young girl, it's just taking playing with dolls and Barbie dolls to the next level because you're just creating <laughs> stories with them. And then you're like, oh, what if I just replace the dolls with my friends and make up characters for my friends and actually capture it? And so I did that when I was in high school. I started my own small production company where I would do wedding videos and all that stuff. And that's how I was able to make a living off of filmmaking, even though it wasn't in a narrative way. Uh, what I tried to do is I tried to watch the IMDb top 250 and I got down to about 70 movies and it was too hard to keep up because <laughs> they keep changing all the time, even though I'm still pursuing that. And so I did that. I went to USC film school for film production. And while I was there, I just strove to continuously make my own content all the time it's a great school, but if you just stick purely to the classes, you don't actually get to make that many films. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go off and actually try to make stuff. And so something that really helped me get into directing was producing. And so what was great about producing is I got to work with all different types of directors and see what was more efficient or what clients didn't like. 
And what was really helpful with that too is working with these clients. They'd have directors where they'd ask something for them or something would happen. They'd be like, oh no, like this director isn't working out. Mercedes, it looks like you have directing credits and you're right here and you know the content. Would you like to direct it? And so that was really cool because it helped me get these opportunities I wouldn't have otherwise had unless I was just right there the whole time. So it sounds like from the beginning, like you, you kind of were a student of cinema before you were actually a student of cinema at USC. You know, you started that exactly. kind of study process way back in, in, in fifth grade or fourth grade, which probably gives you like a head start because when you get to USC, like you know what you want to do, like once you kind of get into classes. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of times people in the industry are like, oh my God, you know, you're very young and it's very respected to be a young director. But a lot of times people are hesitant because they assume that because you're young, you don't have as much experience. But I beg to differ because I think people just figure out what they want to do at different points in their life. And I'm just lucky enough to have found out from a very young age and just, you know, missed a lot of parties to be on set in college. And so I was just able to take that with me. And so as soon as I graduated college, I was just able to direct and produce full time and make a living off of it, doing what I want to do and do the content I like to do. And I really love to do genre pieces. And so that's what's so wonderful about Stargate is I love sci-fi. Is that what kind of got you into movies? Would you say like you were a big sci-fi fan, like when you were studying all these films before uh, college? Yeah, definitely. I, so another thing a lot of people don't know about me is I actually grew up without TV because um, our satellite dish blew down when I was in second grade. And so the way for me to watch anything is we had to buy entire seasons of a show. And so I was one of the original binge watchers <laughs> where like we owned all of the Star Trek, um, original Star Trek, and I would just watch them over five times. Um, and so for us, for us to watch a show, it had to be something we really, really loved. And that's why I watched so many movies is because if you can't just turn on the TV to reality TV, you have to be really choosy with what you pick. And so that's why I watched a lot of classic movies and classic content. So yeah, it's it's interesting. What I'm seeing is like, you kind of grew up very separate from the industry early on. You kind of had that like Stranger Things purity of childhood where you got to, in a smaller town, I guess, to adventure and hang out with your friends and, and make movies. So I'm wondering like, how did you make the jump to USC and how did you... Uh, how did you cultivate an interest in that? And also, how did you get in? Because I'll just, you know, put it out there for viewers. They have like film school for film production, which I think is your major, right? Yeah. You have like a four or 5% acceptance rate, which is crazy low. I mean, it's lower than most Ivy League schools. So to actually break it down, um, when I was in high school, I went to the USC summer film program. Coming from a really small town, I didn't have any friends who were film geeks. And so all of a sudden I was in this place where all these people had seen Clockwork Orange and watch all these Hitchcock movies. And for the first time, I really felt like I had found my subculture. And that was really exciting for me. And so when I was there, I was in this program where you make five films over the course of six weeks. And for the very end of the program in the class, they choose one film from every class to be able to be shown at the end program. And I was lucky enough that my classmates voted on my film to be shown there. And so I feel like that really helped me 
to get a leg into USC to be like, look, I made this film on your campus as a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Please accept me. And then something else like for the admissions essay that I did is I really tried to make it true to me. A lot of people write essays where they're like, I came out of the womb filmmaking instead of actually telling about what kind of stories they want to tell. Right. And so I really tried to personalize it to my background and saying how I would specifically tell stories different from someone else. And so I think that helped. So when you got to college, it sounds like you were a woman on a mission. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. How did you kind of capitalize on using this the, those four years to the best of your ability to launch your career? Because like if we look at you now, you know, two years out of graduation, like, oh my God, you've directed like a Stargate feature film and done a lot of stuff. So how did you kind of, you know, springboard into the city and just use, you seem like you really used that time to plant your feet in solid ground. Yeah, for sure. So I'd say like what I did is the first semester I was there, I'm, I was a very, very shy person. And I'm still kind of secretly shy. People just don't know it because I pretend not to be. <laughs> um, well, you're doing but, such a good job pretending now because you're so charismatic you. and energetic. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, so when I went into USC, it was really just me trying to make friends with everybody and networking in a genuine way. And so I was just like, okay, I'm going to find people who want to do the same thing as me and I'm going to help them on their projects and they're going to help me in my projects. And so the first semester I spent doing that. And then the second semester I was like, okay, great. I've assembled a crew of classmates and I made a short film, which I raised like $3,500 for on Kickstarter, which at the time I'm like, wow, look at this budget we have. <laughs> And now it's like we couldn't even do like half a day of filming with that. Uh, but so did that. And it was just kind of like this community where other people started making projects too. Um, and so like in a non-competitive way, we're just like, oh, this is what everyone's doing. Need to hop on that train. And so I just tried every semester. I'm like, okay, I'm going to direct a new project. Um, and it just transitioned from the point where originally I was having to self-fund projects into having clients fund projects for me and then to the point where I was getting paid for my work into then making a living off my work and so just like steadily seeing the jobs change from one to the next right well you sound so passionate about it it's so cool to, to hear this and kind of like thank you for opening up and kind of uh, shedding light on that because like I really do think that'll be valuable for if anyone's listening who's interested in going to school or is in high school like this is really good information that I wish someone told me, you know, when I was 15 yeah, and all emotional same. and confused. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's get into Stargate Origins. So how did kind of you segue into doing directing full time? And then like, what was your story of how this project landed on your desk and kind of what discussions you had to have or, or how you got the offer to direct this project? Yeah, so I, uh, what's really great is I feel like in the 90s and even early 2000s, directors got their start doing music video, just music videos and commercials. But what's great is because of the sweet old internet, we can ma actually make narrative series as a way for directors to get their foot in the door, which is even more of an easy transition because it's very similar. <laughs> and so that's what kind of helped me as I was just doing narrative series and so for stargate i was put on this list of directors that they wanted to have pitch and i was told okay you have two days 
to make an initial pitch deck and you need to put all your ideas and how you would do it into a deck and we will send it off. And if they like it, then we'll bring you to the next round where you go and pitch in the room with MGM. Did you know it was like a Catherine Langford story or what did you kind of have to prepare for that pitch like in those two days? Yeah. So I had um, like a two page rough outline, which also changed drastically. So I knew that it was a Catherine Langford story and I knew kind of the general idea of what they wanted to do with it, but it was very open-ended. Okay. And so taking that, I what I like to do when I pitch is find out what the theme is because theme influences everything else and say like, okay, here's how the theme influences characters and character arcs and location and design and all of that. And so I did that. I was brought into the room to pitch and I was told one of the reasons why – Sam Tolls and the other people at MGM like my pitch is I tried to make it Stargate and not something else because a lot of people came in and were like, what if we make it more like Star Wars or Star Trek or (laughs) this sci-fi? And I'm like, no, this is like what people like about Stargate is combining this historical tone with sci-fi and also that it still can have a sense of humor without being too, too serious. And so that's what I was told led them to choose my pitch. So that so you had at least some prior experience with Stargate. I know you said when you were young you bought like the Star Trek box sets. What what was your prior experience with the Stargate franchise? Yeah, so I had um watched Stargate the TV show and watched the movie. Um and so when I came in, I had that knowledge and that's why I was able to pick like okay, this is what I like about it and what I believe other people like about it and try to thread that in. Um, And something to note is like, it is a new part of the franchise. Like a lot of people are upset even when it was announced because they're like, what? We want more (laughs) SG-1 and we want more of this. And it's like, I'm sorry guys, but it's, it's something different. Um, And so I think for people to enjoy it, it's accepting it, that it's, it is part of the same universe and we really tried to stick to canon and we had Kieran always as our Stargate expert, always advising us, making sure that we, everything fit within the universe. Um, but it is something different still. Yeah. I guess it is hard, especially cause like if you're watching the web series, not the feature cut, you know, you see the first three episodes and it stops and you have no idea how the end ties into canon. You know, you say, well, how yeah, can Kath exactly. and Langford remember this? Like, this is a, a gross oversight of what happened um, or, or what SG-1 yeah. in the original movie was like. And so, like, that's one of the things I'm excited about the feature cut is once you see it straight through, it makes more sense if you don't have to yeah. wait weeks to kind of catch the other episodes. Definitely. Yeah, like, people are very reactionary and I don't blame them. They were like what, this doesn't tie to anything in the past. It's like, guys, just keep watching. <laughs> like, we promise. We we are very aware of, like, how this fits in in canon. And so, yeah, when, like, people watch to the end, they realize, like, oh, okay, that's how this does that. Yeah. Did you, so did you see Stargate, like, with your family, like, when you were a kid before film school? Or was that something you picked up kind of once you got in the entertainment industry? Yeah, it's something I actually picked up once I got in the entertainment industry. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. and so it was cool. It was something like I, I came to later, not as a kid, but didn't, but then discovered and was like, whoa, look at this like huge, vast world. So for developing the script, so you've got the job now, and now it's time to work on the script. 
how far in were the writers? Were they had were they still in the outline stage? And how are you able to put kind of your voice and your sensibilities in the Stargate Origins we see this season of Stargate Origins? So um, the writers were brought on at the same time that I was. And so what was kind of crazy is our pre-production overlapped with them writing. Um, this, I mean, we, we were working on outlines off of pre-production in the very beginning, and then we started working off of scripts, but everything was changing right down to the line. And even on set, we had Justin, our writer, on set, and we would refine lines as need be. And our ending, there is... I don't know if I could say, but there's a couple of different possible endings up into the air. You're talking about like with Beale or you're just like... Yeah, with Beale. Okay, yeah, we, yeah, he, that's been disclosed. Okay, great. So, um, like it wasn't until I think like a week into shooting that we're like, yeah, Beale's gonna die. (laughs) And it was really funny because I came to him, I'm like, oh man, how do you tell someone that they're gonna die? Like, this is so hard. And so, um, telling him, he was actually like, yeah, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Um, cause it does make sense. Like it, I think it was right for him to do that and it makes for a better ending. Right. Was that something that came about in your head as a director, like conferences with the writers? Like how did you make these kinds of bigger story decisions later in the game? Yeah. So, um, what we did is we had a weekly notes session with MGM and the writers and me, and they would listen to everybody's notes, um, and take the ones they thought worked and for the ones that they didn't, you know, we would discuss some more. Um, but then something else interesting, which I haven't really done before, but I'm really happy and proud of having done is one of, one of my favorite scenes wasn't ever actually written in the script. And it's when Catherine and Kasuf are up on the mountain by the mines and they have this whole conversation in Abedonian about, religion and why they're doing it and that's something that wasn't written in the script and for me I was like this is something that's very important to talk about philosophically (laughs) because this is the questions that Stargate brings up and so the weekend like the day or two before we shot that I took the writer aside and I was like hey I think this is really really important for us to have and if we go through the long process of trying to get it approved it's probably not going to make it in because it's the weekend. No one's in the office. So like, can you and I just try this? Like, please. (laughs) So he wrote it and we gave it to the actors and in the van on the way driving like five hours to set, they had to memorize this other language of sounds (laughs) of this huge philosophical conversation. And so when we showed MGM the cut for the first time, um, they were like, what is this? We've never heard of this. (laughs) this was never in the script and I was like I know but I think it's really really important and I had to fight the entire time we were in post-production to keep that in there like every single note session we had it people tried to take it out and I'm like you guys like we need to have heart here like it's not just about action and people running around and trying to do that like what for me what I love about sci-fi and like I want to I'm just going to keep fighting to put more in anything is like people want to know the philosophy behind it because it makes us think about our world differently. Yes. And so the way I was able to keep that in there is we showed it in a test screening to Stargate fans. And when asked what one of their favorite scenes were, they said that scene. And so. Wait, you guys test screened it with Stargate fans? 
We did. Yeah. Um, MGM test screened it with Stargate fans. And so in the test screening, they said they liked that. And so I was like an inch away from having it cut out completely. And I was able to keep keep it because that's what they liked. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) So yeah. 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 I mean, that scene is like classic Stargate. And that's a discussion I've had with some other fans saying like, it makes it, it engages in the kind of philosophy or the cultural struggles that Stargate so brilliantly articulated in its past work. Exactly. And I mean, I, I personally would have wanted to put even more of that stuff in there, but that wasn't my job as a director and that's me overstepping my bounds. <laughs> so I, I did it for that part because I was like, this is important because everyone wants this to be good. And I believe in my gut that this will make it better than having not had it right um but yeah that's the kind of stuff i really love and gravitate towards yeah and this kind of ties into what you were saying earlier about how theme is everything and then how that kind of develops the heart or the core of a project because like that scene is very thematically enhancing um in kind Mm -hmm. of a way that makes it clear what kind of statement origins is trying to make as a as a story really yeah definitely so what was it like um Apart from the creative, when you take on one of these projects, you also have to be a logistical manager, a project manager. And Stargate Origins seems to be a bit longer in terms of the production cycle than what you might do as like a freelance director. So like, I just love to get your perspective on what was it like, you know, through all three stages, pre-production, production production, and post-production, how this was different at what it was like to experience being a part of a franchise and being that person that people are looking to and saying, what are we doing? What's the decision? What are we shooting? How many shots do we need? And kind of like having to live in that space. Yeah, definitely. So this was a (laughs) 12 to 15 hour a day thing from day one. From the very, very beginning, even in pre-production. Um, and what was so wonderful is working out of the Vanishing Angle offices is I was just able to be there with my department heads. And so every single day in pre-production, I'd be like, okay, what department are we meeting with today? And we'd have the initial concept meeting and then checking in and breaking down the script together. And the type of director I am is I'm very, like, I like to have every single thing planned so that when things happen that are unexpected, we can throw out the plan having already talked about all the things that don't work and choose the second next best thing that works. And so with this, we shot it multicam, but we were able to have more days on set so that it wasn't just straight coverage. Um, but yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, even though we had breaks on weekends, I'd meet with my first AD and my DP And we would just sit all day and plan out this week. And we're like, okay, what happened last week? What do we need to grab this week? Like, if anything in the script changed, how do we plan for this new scene? And, yeah. So another question, which I've never really gotten the answer to. I hear it kind of varies just from, you know, other directors or other projects. Like, once you get into post-production, that's usually hypothetically the time where you can take a, a breather. Was it nope. still the, Oh no. Okay. There we are. So that's same 12, 15 hour days in the editing room. Yeah, exactly. It, like I would go in and it would be dark and come out and it would be dark. Um, because <laughs> we were, and so Angie McGrama is my editor and she's wonderful. I have her edit all my stuff and it's really great because we have a dialogue and we just, know what we both like together and the style 
Um, but so she was editing the entire time we were on set. And so when we came off a of set, we had, I think it was a week until we had the first cut to show the studio, um, which is super insane. <laughs> but also because of that, what I would do is like every weekend I'd go and see a cut of the scenes we did with her and she'd tell us like, you should get a pickup of this shot or like, this is how we make this work. And so that's how we made that possible. But yeah, I just basically sat in a dark room with her for a month and a half every single day. So how did it feel to emerge and kind of get to show it? Like you said, you did a screening with Stargate fans. Were you like in the room? Did you get to feel some of the test screenings and the first response? No. So that was actually with MGM. um, And I wasn't part of that, but they did like questionnaires and showed it to us. But something we did that actually Matt Miller, our producer has introduced to my life, which I will forevermore use is what we did with our cuts is a lot of people now, because you can just send a link to someone will have a cut, send a link off to the client, get their notes back and then go and execute it. And what we tried to do is we tried to do live screenings instead of sending links to people. So we bring in our MGM people like Sam tolls and we'd all watch the cut together and what's cool about that is because when people are giving notes based off just a link, they'll stop for two minutes. They'll be like, I don't understand what just happened and write that they don't understand when possibly in the cut it's explained like five minutes later <laughs> and you're supposed to want to know what's happening. Like you shouldn't have all the answers answered up front. And so like this prevents people from doing that and you're able to actually like see when people laugh and actually have a discussion. And so that way, Cause sometimes people write notes too, where they're just like, change this. And you're like, okay, but why? Like, what is the feeling behind that? And so if we discuss it in the room, we're able to discuss and they'd be like, change this. We're like, okay, but if we change it to this, this happens. And they'll be like, oh yeah, never mind. Let's change it in this way instead. And so it opens dialogue. So I, I have a question about like going into this project as a director. What did you pull upon in terms of stylistic influences, just apart from Stargate, honestly? And and kind of how did you, what movies or other shows did you pull on to, to craft the tone and craft kind of the visual language specific to this project? Yeah, um, so a ton of different things. Um, but what my DP and I would do is like when we were shot listing together, we'd shot list together for the morning and then in the middle of the day, take a break and watch some content. We wanted to show each other for inspiration and then get back into shot listing. Um, and so I really like looking at anime, um, because I think first of all, they're able to do way more shots than you'd ever be able to do in live action, right, be able to afford, totally. but just because the shot design is like very clearly thought out. Um, like we watched <laughs> some Nietzsche Dow, um, and what's like funny about that is even just like little things where it's like, when characters move their eye line closer to the camera, it becomes way more intimate and intense. Um, and something I like to do in my work, which people know since Stargate is characters actually look straight into the camera, um, which kind of, you know, is different than what we're used to seeing. Uh, but like gaining things from that. And then also Nika would bring in images from video games for lighting um, and like something that Nico likes to do. Yeah. Something that Nico likes to do is for example, we are like, okay, earth is going to be very warm colors and everything in Abydos is going to be very cool colors. Um, but if you look at this, all the stuff in the warehouses though, even though everything's very warm, there'll be something cool thrown in the background 
because if it's all warm, you don't get separation. But if you have like one blue light or something far, then it makes it feel warmer because there's that contrast. And so that's another thing we would look at. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was really incredible about this was just how striking like some of the lighting was and some of the, the, the depth of the sets were, you know, especially for something like a web series that usually has more limitations than you're having a feature film, like the quality of, of that kind of rose above what you would usually get in, in like yeah. a digital series. I mean, I wish, you know, and that's something that people also fans were like, whoa, it seems like the, the budget has limitations on this. And we're like, yeah, we did. <laughs> like we had extreme budget limitations. And like, I really felt that considering that like we, we did way more than like what we could have been expected to do given that, um, like the, the, the Egyptian sets, um, we really had to work with that, you know, and not being able to make huge, huge things, but still being able to make something where like, yes, this gives us what we need for people to move around and tell the story. Right. That's crazy. So did you get to kind of like, did you pre-visit all or did you just shot list? Like how, how much did you get to prepare? And did you have a lot of time before going into this? Yeah. So it was great. I did. I I had a lot of time. And I mean, something that's taught me is like, I think like one of my strengths is planning everything out too much, but then also like that's so time consuming on this. I really learned like where I can let things flow more freely. But yeah, we made overheads with blocking for actors for every single scene um, and shot listed every single thing. Um, but like, I don't really, I don't care for storyboards. They're not really useful to me. I think the only re like the only time that storyboards are really useful is if you have really intense VFX or action sequences yeah. that you're either having a second unit shoot or like most of it's going to be done in post um, because people work, people move more freely in blocking than they do in storyboards. Um, and like when you're on location, it's, it doesn't make sense to draw storyboards unless you already have locations locked before you're at that point. So are there any stories from set or like, what are your favorite memories coming away that like, if you got a chance to talk to someone about this, like was the first story you would want to tell them? Or one of the one of the main stories that was just a really cool moment or a really interesting moment from the whole process of making this project. Yeah, for sure. I think one of my favorite ones is like something we'd always do in the Vanishing Angle offices is just have random dance parties <laughs> because it's a really great way after you're sitting in a chair for like twelve hours in an office during pre production to just kinda like relieve some stress. And so like it could be three in the afternoon or it could be one in the AM in the morning and you just walk into the office and everyone's just like dancing <laughs> to a random song, which is so wonderful. And so I remember first time, um, Philip came in to get fitted for his Beale costume. Everyone in the office was just like dancing at like two in the afternoon. And he, he just seemed so like shy and taken aback and was like, am I in the right place? What is going on? <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, I think we scared him. And it's so funny because like Philip is one of the funniest like guys and then like after like a week into knowing us like initiated dance parties Ooh. and so that was just a really wonderful moment so he caught see, on like, pretty quick he got inducted and yeah. engaged in it embraced it exactly. yeah because i just think like it's like this is our work that was my work family and so it's like if we're not having fun like everything's gonna suffer 
it was a tough to kind of like be that person who has to set the tone. Like, how do you kind of lean on your team to make sure you don't, you know, burn out and still keep that kind of fun environment that you're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, first of all, it's just choosing a team that I trust and know will do the job. Like, I don't have to get mad at someone for not doing their job if they're just going to do their job in the first place. (laughs) So it's kind of like how with casting actors, it's like 90% of it is just casting people you think, you know, are the part already because then most of your job and the hard part goes away. And you got to work with people who you were familiar with. Like a lot of the crew was young and like either yeah. were from my era even of Chapman or or your classmates in USC, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And because it's just like people that we had like grown up together. And there's like a lot of people who weren't like, you know, like Candy, our production designer, has been doing this for 20 years and same with our costume designer kit. Um, and so it's like that was really necessary because, you know, she needed to have been 20 years um, for us to be like, hey, can you make a gigantic Stargate (laughs) Um, and like make it possible on like a tight budget? And she was like, yes. Um, The costumes are fantastic, by the way. They look amazing. She did a really good job. Um, Everyone did. But yeah. And so it was like a mixture between that where I was like, these are people who like are willing to do all the hours. And then these are the people who have done it for many many years and combining those forces i I love it when like there's real synergy within a project and like you know that the people who made it enjoyed making it and you know how it's not like this miserable job that they hate going to and everyone's fighting behind the scenes it's nice to hear that there's like a warmth to the environment and the creative family yeah i mean i don't think there for me personally it's like raising your voice doesn't help anything because it's going to make people not want to do something, not want to do it more. (laughs) So yeah, there's no point. So now that uh, the web series has been released on uh, Stargate Command earlier this year, and then now it's out as a movie and where are you uh, looking to go as a director? And I want to throw this question your way. If you could pick any dream project, like going forward in the future, whether it's a sequel and a historical period piece, an adaptation of a literary property. If someone just came to you and said, we'll write you a check for whatever budget you want and whatever material, <laughs> what would you go make? Oh my God. Such a big question. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I threw that. I didn't tell you beforehand. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, well, first of all, I hope to continue. I just, I like to work a lot. So yeah. I just hope to like continuously always make more projects whenever I finish one, even if it's like that was previously the dream project, I'm like, cool, what's on? Like, what's the next one? Um, But I've been, I've started writing my own content recently. um, And so I really love to do something with that um, because I really, really love working with other writers. Um, But I actually, I love to make stuff. I I call it like alternative genre (laughs) where it's like it's stuff that's in the genre well in the genre realm but isn't afraid to be different it would be something that's shown at like Sundance midnight um and so be able to get like complete freedom with that where people aren't like why is that there that's so weird it's like well if it makes you uncomfortable that's the point um (laughs) so that would really be my dream is to be able to do that and then just also really like dive into tv um I'd love to like be a really, really busy genre TV director working all the time because it's just like constant work. I'm good at carrying out other people's visions. So like really having a mixture between 
TV director doing that all the time. And then like every now and then doing my own feature, even if it's like for a budget, because then I get more control. So like you're more for like on the feature side, you're more interested in kind of like indie original material, not like big budget fare. Yeah. I mean, my favorite director is Terry Gilliam, who did Brazil and like 12 Monkeys. And so like, I'd say he's like an example of the type of stuff I want to do because it still has enough of a budget where it's like, you know, he could do something with it, but then it's also like, wasn't stripped away from him and turned into like a blockbuster. So in terms of TV, like what are any like recent properties that you've been really inspired by of this new age where, you know, we finally see binge watching being a thing and we finally see these more original, higher budget projects coming in like what what is what is what show or miniseries have you just like adored and want to do something like that yeah I really love Handmaid's Tale um because I think it's very timely and very important and the way it's done is very masterful um but then like in a completely different direction I'd say like my favorite favorite show is like Rick and Morty (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome no it's great love it so much because it's just like goes beyond the genre and it's just very intelligent and also just immature like I am at the same time <laughs> um <laughs> and then I'd say like the last one even different from those is 13 reasons why because um, when I was younger I read that book and it changed my life and so even though it's very controversial for me it helped me emotionally mentally instead of hurt Awesome. Well, we very much look forward to what you're doing next. I want to give you a warm welcome to the Stargate family because once you're in it, you can't leave for better or worse. So (laughs) hopefully you enjoy it and hopefully uh, this has been a really enriching experience. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much.